0: good morning everybody good morning good morning everybody I feel it too we had rain this morning and um, clouds and a cooler day maybe is coming and around the Bend which would be nice I think for everybody Um, if you're new here maybe visiting and we don't know one another haven't yet had the chance to meet um, hi I'm so glad you're here I'm Ashley And um, we've been going these last number of weeks uh, through what we're calling Welcome Sundays, a chance for us as a community to uh, take a little bit of a break from what is going to be our normal habit every Sunday, which is to preach directly on whatever the gospel text was or the scripture assigned for the week. We've spent the last few weeks doing a series we're calling Welcome Sundays as a way to orient ourselves as a community around like, who are we? (laughs) What are we going to be about? Uh, I'm new. So if you're new, uh, you're not alone. We're uh, all trying to um, rally together to see what maybe the Lord has for us here as a church. How is the way that we worship going to shape the way that we live? Um, How does the way we live shape the way we worship? You know, it's a big question. So we've been spending some time thinking together about this tradition. We uh, worship in the way of the Anglican tradition, uh, which is a part of our life together. It's not the most important part of our life together. It is just a part. Um, You've heard me say week after week that the reason that I feel called to be a part of this church, the reason that I think we exist as a community is not so that we can all be better Anglicans. Like that's not the goal. That's not the mission of the church. You're not gonna find it on the website or I hope hear anybody say it. Our prayer is that um, we're going to be more and more like Jesus. It's not more complicated than that really at the end of the day, you know. That our living together, that our worship together, our life together would just make us more like Him. That we would grow into His likeness. That you really can grow. You can change. I grew up sort of believing either because it was communicated directly or indirectly that once I was baptized and like signed up to be a Christian that that was, you know, it was kind of it, you know. And then the, the goal was just like to not mess up or do as few bad things as possible, you know. I don't know that I actually thought that I could be more and more like Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would work in me and through me to change me over time, that growth into his likeness was something that was really possible. And I don't know uh, how you grew up or like where you are as a human person. Um, But if you have come here today and you feel um, sort of stuck um, and maybe fixated on the parts of yourself that you just like wish you could change or wish were better or like I'm never going to be Christian in the way that I thought or that other people are because I'm stuck in X, Y, and Z way or I feel frustrated with myself. Um, what if there was an invitation from the Lord for like these next, this next little bit to come into a space like this and just let him push all of that pressure and weight and frustration off of you and just remind you that he lives, that his Holy Spirit is as available to you today as he has ever been and that as long as there's like breath in your body, there truly is hope for you living the kind of life that you feel called to live, you're created to live, you want to live. And so we get together every single week to just remind each other like, hey, that's possible. Did you know? Jesus is who he says he is. You can be who you were created to be. He brought you here to remind you of that, I think above all else. So today we're talking about, last week we talked about um, worship and liturgy, which if you weren't here, I know you're probably thinking, glad I missed that week. But that's actually not what we talked about, if you'll remember. I mean, it is. But what we really talked about was how, like, what worship's all about. What it's really for. How it's meant to shape the way that we live, you know, as people, as humans. This week what we're talking about is um, the Book of Common Prayer and Spiritual Practice. So, even more exciting than last week. But similarly, what I think, what I really want to to talk about, to think about together, is how we experience God. Do we? Or maybe the fact that we don't, some of us, and wish we did. What it means to actually live with God, to be formed by Him, to commune with Him, to experience Him. And what does any of that have to do with like the Book of Common Prayer or spiritual practice? So we talk about the Holy Spirit, really. Um, and when I, when I say that, um, some of you may immediately think, Oh, Lord, no. You want to maybe um, hit the door. Because the idea of talking about the Holy Spirit in church um, or hearing even words like experience God in church maybe signals for you all kinds of things. Uh, maybe because you grew up in a tradition in which those... Words were connected to an experience that for you sometimes felt um, manipulative or just weird, you know? So it feels very foreign, maybe even unsafe. Or maybe you grew up in a tradition or in the church or maybe you didn't at all and either way the whole idea of the Holy Spirit, all of it sounds worrisome either because you're very familiar with it or because you're not at all either way. We're on edge a bit. I get it. I spent some amount of time in my life in both of those camps. I have some experience of what we call like a charismatic uh, stream of Christianity where I worshipped with Christians who um, talked about the Holy Spirit a lot, who looked for, expected, um, and practiced gifts of the Spirit, things like speaking in tongues or um, healing people, you know. And then I spent some of my life in uh, the church um, where I guess we believed in the Holy Spirit, but mostly just that he did stuff in the New Testament. You know? And like, that was for sure real. It just does not happen anymore. You know? Um, And so he was there, but almost like a historical figure was there. And so I've spent the most uh, recent part of my life as an Anglican, surprisingly enough, trying to figure out how do we experience the, the Holy Spirit the way that Jesus seemed to believe that we were meant to. Not in past tense, but in present tense. I mean, He said, do you remember, in the New Testament, Jesus said, unless I go away, it is good that I go away. Because if I do, if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. He only comes if I go away. It's good that I go away. Have you ever thought, like, how much easier all of this would be if he was just here? Then we could sort of like be done with all of the faith part of it, <laughs> the believing part of it, without seeing he would just be here, and it would be fact, just like this is fact, or your fact. Wouldn't that be better? For some crazy reason, he didn't seem to think so. And I am like, I don't know even what he meant. I'm not here to give you an answer to the question. I think I've just, maybe I'll never get over wondering what he meant. Why is it good that you go away? Why is it better for me to have the Holy Spirit in my life than to be able to see him with my eyeballs? What did he mean? if we believe he is who he says he is. He's not a liar. So why is it good that he goes away? In the gospel that we read, that text, we read a story about Jesus encountering a woman who'd been bent over for 18 years. Um, Physically bent over and all of a sudden she encounters Jesus who was in very many respects a traditional rabbi he prayed 3 times a day that was his spiritual practice he i suspect was fairly well read you know what i mean whatever the version of the times were first century palestine jesus was probably up to speed you know on current events he did his homework He's a genius. He wore robes, traditional prayer shawls, his own version of a collar. So in many ways, he looked every bit, played the part of a traditionalist, Presbyterian, Catholic, looked like a Lutheran, maybe. And yet, when Jesus encounters this woman, Without hesitation, he walks right up to her, lays his hands on her, and prays for her to be healed. And she is. She stands upright for the first time in a long time. She's unbent. If that isn't meant to be a word of promise, I don't know what is. And unless you have experienced yourself as a bent person, you probably can't hear the gospel that that story is. But if you have ever felt yourself bent over, weighed down by grief or by hopelessness, despair, anger, if you know what it means to be bent over, then you can imagine how good it would feel to have somebody love you enough to notice you, walk over, put their hands on you, and help you stand up. What a powerful thing that would be. Who in here doesn't want that? What human have you ever met who doesn't want that? Either to be the person who receives it or to be a person who could offer it to somebody. Who would turn that down? And if the answer is, well, nobody. Regardless of what you believe about anything else, I don't care right now what you believe about evolution. I don't care what you believe about sexuality. I don't care who you voted for. If you are a human being in this room who would very much love to be able to stand up straight with dignity and hope. If you are a human who would like to be able to help other people feel that way, then you are a person for whom Jesus has given the Holy Spirit as a gift. That's who He is. He's how we stand upright in freedom. He's how we help other people experience that same freedom. It's not more complicated than that, really, and it doesn't have to be weird or manipulative. In fact, it's not meant to be at all. Peace, I give you, Jesus said, right before he looked at them and breathed in their face. Do you remember? Jesus is gathered with the disciples in the upper room. It's a wild time, post-resurrection. Here he is. Nothing makes sense anymore. And since everything's already weird, Jesus walks right up to them and blows right in their face. And without saying it, the subtext is, I just endured hell and then went to actual hell so that I could stand here and breathe life into you. So that you could take that same life to other people, and if you've spent most of your life as a Christian thinking that whatever it meant to be charismatic or to be have the Holy Spirit was something that wild other Christians did or other people who are not yourself, then what if, in the weird way God does things, He brought you to an Anglican church to tell you otherwise—that you are meant to be a person who is both filled with the Holy Spirit and formed by Him. I want both of those things to be true. For myself, and I hope to God for every single person I meet in this church and otherwise, I want to know what it means to be filled with His Spirit and formed by it. I want to be able to have my prayer shawls or whatever my version of that is, my tradition, my prayer book, my practices, my sophistication as a person, and the freedom to take the gift, something supernatural, to people when I'm asked or when I need to. And I want us to hope for that together is what I'm saying. Thank God that we were not left to our own devices to figure out how to do that. That I don't just have to now think, okay, well, What do i do i'd like that (laughs) i'd like to be filled with the god's spirit informed by it but now what you know here's what i love about being anglican is because that feeling for me will wear off as soon as i'm not looking at you in the face anymore i'll go home and make lunch lie down wake up and forget we ever talked about this And I'll feel a million other things before bed. And this was just one of the things I felt. That's where the forming part becomes really essential. It's where I need something I can touch, something I can do with my body that takes the feeling and hooks it onto something that's not just feeling. You know what I mean? Why we got to have both of those things? And the reason I love being Anglican is because belonging to the ancient church That means that there are like over 2,000 years worth of good ideas, suggestions and practices for how we take the feeling and connect it to something tangible. Something that holds us when our feelings won't. Which is how I found my way to liturgy and to this tradition. My feeler gave out on me. I'd just done one too many youth conferences and my feeler just broke right open. Oh, <laughs> uh, I couldn't feel. And want to stand up and shout for Jesus, or anything else for that matter. I wanted to be quiet, and I wanted other people around me to be quiet. And I still believed all the same things. I couldn't feel them. So. The liturgy came to me as a gift because it helped me to pray. Gave me a form, something that could shape me beyond my feelings. The Book of Common Prayer is one example of a practice, of a thing that I think God has given to us, put into our hands as a resource, a gift of grace. It's not the thing. It's not, it's not about the Book of Common Prayer. It can never be about the Book of Common Prayer. If it becomes about any of this stuff, then it, it all loses its meaning. It ceases to be and do the thing for which it was created. We are idol-making factories, the beloved and late Eugene Peterson said. We can't help ourselves. I am fine with you bowing to the book as long as you remember the one we bow to is not in the book. You know what I mean? We've got to keep the thing the thing. So I love the Book of Common Prayer, but only insofar as it points me to Jesus. It's him I love. It's him I'm after. And it's been a helpful tool. The Book of Common Prayer was created. It's where all this stuff comes from that's in your bulletin. This is a worship, a liturgy that was taken, a script for worship, right out of a book called the Book of Common Prayer. It's old, real old, from the 16th century. It was created and crafted by a guy named Thomas Cranmer. No doubt he had some help from others, but he's the one who gets the credit, you know? He was a genius, a literary genius. He loved words. That's why I like him. And it's been a super influential book for a number of reasons. But here's the reason that I want to talk about it today. The Book of Common Prayer came into being, into existence, at a really important time in history. When the Catholic Church, with a capital C, was undergoing massive reform right out of the Middle Ages. So imagine the time in the world where you've seen all the movies. People were selling indulgences. The church was paying for wars. That time, dark time, there was need for reform. Thomas Cranmer and other people felt it like a fire in their bones. And at that time, when other people were leaving the church altogether, other people were doubling down on the church and the state. Sound familiar? It's either the church of the state, or it's no church at all. Those two extremes existed then just as they exist now. And rather than be forced into either of those extremes, Cranmer and other people decided to pave a way forward through prayer and through reading the Bible, which is why I think it's genius. When everybody else wanted to take their pitchforks, and this literally happened, it's the reason we talk about pitchforks, is because it actually happened, peasants revolts, and go set stuff on fire, because we've all known what that feels like, just be so much easier sometimes to just burn it down, (laughs) you know, get rid of it, scrap it, all together, and there are people doing that. These other people is like, I don't know, I think maybe we should pray. Maybe we should help people read their Bibles. Maybe the issue is that we've gotten too far away from the center. And if we could call everybody back to the center, that would help. So Cranmer devises these, what he calls offices, three of them. Three services for prayer, one in the morning, one in midday, and one in the evening. That's what you find in your Book of Common Prayer. Morning prayer, midday prayer, and evening prayer. And he called both individuals and the church to pray. The monks pray eight times a day. That's a lot. Those of us with, you know, real jobs, they say, we can just pray three. And now here we are, a thousand years later, going three, (laughs) three times a day. How could we ever? Three times a day. That's the idea. The spirit of the thing is not how many times you do it, of course. The whole idea is to have a rhythm for prayer. To have a life of prayer, meaningfully. And so what he did not do is say, at 9 a.m., everybody sit down for 20 minutes, and then you just pray what you feel. Because guess what would have happened? What happens to you? Most of the time. You feel anxious hurried worried you're not going to hear God or get anything out of the next 15 minutes that could have been spent any number of other ways I don't know what the version of that looked like in the 16th century but some version of that existed then and so he gave us words to pray and scripture to read he created a daily office which is an old word that just means service and a daily lectionary it's an old bible reading plan So that we could read the Bible and pray through it. Old Testament reading, a psalm, a New Testament reading, a gospel reading. It's a lot. A lot of Bible, a lot of praying. And he gave us this gift. Here's the point of my telling you this. I think if we're going to be filled, it's going to require some kind of form. You have to create space for God. That's what Cranmer was doing. He was calling people to create space for God. You need to know the Bible. You need to pray, he was saying. Go and make space for God and see what happens. See if he'll fill it. And maybe if he fills it, then it will change the church. It will change us. I know that this is not the days of the Reformation. But I do know what it feels like to be tempted as a person in this moment in time in history to want to wag my finger at other Christians. I know what it feels like to want to opt out. I know what it feels like to feel sincerely and rightfully frustrated. And yet, I'm not the first to feel that way. And standing in this tradition belonging to it is a reminder that I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrew says, people who felt that way before. And what they called us to do with all those feelings is to pray. Do something with them. Hook them to something. Lead the thing you feel. Let the Holy Spirit, let God lead the thing you feel rather than the other way around. Take the frustration somewhere redemptively good, you take it somewhere. If what you want is for a reformed church, a spirit-filled church, a Christ-formed church, then may it start here in my own life. I want to stand up straight. I want to be able to help you stand up straight. So I'm going to have to make space to let the Lord fill me with His Spirit so that I can do that. And I need help in knowing what that looks like. So you may have your way already. You may be doing something, you have a form, a practice, a way of being Christian practically that works for you. And if that's the case, keep on keeping on. Praise God. I am so thankful. But if you feel lost, Then I want you to hear these words, and we'll close here. These are the words of the prophet Jeremiah, not the words we read at the beginning of the service. Different words. He said this This is what the Lord says Stand at the crossroads and look. The only way you can stand at a crossroads and look is if you're standing up straight. Otherwise, you're looking like this, and you're not going to see very far. Be on your own toes. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah had the worst job in the Bible, or at least one of them. He had to try to preach reform to a people who were destined to go into exile. Rough. It's like, oh, if we reform, it means we don't go to exile. No, 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 you're still for sure going (laughs) into exile. But you should reform anyway. So you can stand up straight, you see. Go into exile with your head held up. Go into exile carrying freedom here. All that to say, I don't know what the future holds for you. I wish I could promise that if you start reading your Bible and praying that everything will get so much better, that for us as a church, everything will be easy and grow and everyone will be like us and it'll just be amazing. We'll have the most epic kids ministry you've ever seen. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that I'm going to just follow Jesus where he leads. I want to be filled with his spirit and formed by him. That's what I know. And if you would like that, then the invitation for you is to come on. Common prayer is what we call it. Praying together in common. Reading together in common. Living together in common. You're not in this alone. You're not by yourself. We're going to do it together. Amen.